0: Hey everyone, back again. Today, I'm gonna to take on a rather difficult concept and that is the concept of value, as it is spoken about in Adam Smith, David Ricardo, and Karl Marx. But before jumping into that, if you wanna follow me anywhere other than here, you can find me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy, or on Twitter at David Guineau. If you're new here, welcome, I'm David. I try to explain philosophical concepts and ideas in a way to make them accessible to you. So if you're new, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. If you wanna help me out, do all the, this- all of those things. And if you wanna help me out monetarily, you can do that via Patreon or PayPal, but obviously no pressure. If you found this on YouTube, you'll be able to find it in podcast form pretty much anywhere where you get podcasts where there shouldn't be any ads. Or if you found this in podcast form, you'll be able to find it in YouTube where you'll find the video and me sitting in front of my empty bookcase because I'm moving to La Belle Province. I'm moving to Montreal. And um, yeah, that's my life situation right now. So let's jump into this. Now I've done a number of episodes on Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations. And on David Ricardo's principles of political economy and taxation and right now probably there have been two episodes come out on the first volume of Karl Marx's Capital but that's underway those episodes are coming out weekly so if you want more from Smith and more from Ricardo you can go check out those other episodes I've done or the first couple of episodes of Marx's Capital you can go find those as well on this channel so with that being said what I'm gonna do here is gonna be a little bit reductive I'm not gonna be able to give a full hour-long presentation about this term. I'm just going to give you a few minutes to give you a, a fair understanding of what value means in the world of political economy and its criticism as Karl Marx performs that criticism. So here we're going to start chronologically with Adam Smith. So at the beginning of Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations, he celebrates the emergence of this thing called the division of labor. Now the division of labor, to put it quite simply, allowed people to produce more commodities, more goods, much quicker and much easier than previously. So previously, if someone wanted to buy a shoe, they would have to go to a shoemaker who made all the parts of the shoe that procured all the parts of the shoe and put it together. But with the division of labor, suddenly the making of that shoe can be broken into a number of different operations, where you have one person making the shoelaces, one person making the fabric of the shoe, some person making the soles, and then somebody else putting them all together. Now what this allowed for is people to make things much quicker and much easier. Now with this proliferation of commodities, of objects being made, came the possibility for exchange on a whole new level. And what this necessitated to some extent was the emergence of a universal form of currency. So instead of me going to the market with something I didn't need, let's say I didn't need a shovel that I once had. I would go to the market with the shovel and say, what can I get for this shovel? Perhaps nobody would want that shovel. And then I would be in trouble because I can't get the things I need by getting rid of this other thing because no one wants it. So the entrance of money in the form of gold, silver, and as they would develop into paper money, allowed for all things to be exchanged for all other things insofar as they were going to be transformed into money which could then be used to buy other things. You didn't need to rely on someone needing, in my case, a shovel. I could sell the shovel for money and then that money can be used to buy something else because everybody recognizes money, be it gold, silver, paper money, whatever, as a legitimate form of value. So what does that mean? Well. Really, quite simply, money in gold, silver, paper, money, whatever, is a representation of value, of a thing's worth. Now Adam Smith is clear that an object, a commodity, can, is comprised of two kinds of value. It is comprised of use value and exchange value. Now money stands in for exchange value. It is what is going to de- determine how much a thing, an object, will sell for in the market. Whereas a use value is a little bit more subjective. I might not have use for the shovel, somebody else might, but someone else yet might have a great use for the shovel and will do anything they can to acquire the shovel. And so between these three examples, the use value is different. Now I'm not saying that exchange value is this homogenous thing that is never going to change, but exchange value can be re- represented in the form of money as something that can be exchanged, which can then facilitate exchange whereas that doesn't necessarily guarantee that somebody is going to see use value in a thing and want to buy it so even if i go to the market with a shovel and someone says i don't really need that but i think later i'll be able to sell it so i will give you ten dollars for the shovel i'll hold on to the shovel it's mine now and then i'm going to sell it later perhaps that day will never come so that shovel had a an exchange value but it didn't have a use value because the person who bought it isn't using it And Until it gets sold again, it has no purpose for them So in this way Smith is very clear that an object can either have a use value or an exchange value now If that person were to say, oh, well, maybe I can use the shovel I have to build a trench or dig a well or whatever Then it will have some use value now. How is the value of a thing of a commodity determined? Well Smith says that it is equivalent to the total quantity of labor required to make and bring that thing to market so if it took two hours, let's say, to make a shovel, then the price of the thing as a representation of value is going to reflect the amount of labor that went into it. Now with a shovel, chances are the person who made it had to rely upon acquiring metal or had to acquire metal, had to acquire wood. That doesn't just fall down from the sky. Chances are they had to buy it from somewhere else. But when you buy raw materials like that, you are not saying that those raw materials have value in themselves. You are saying and agreeing to the fact that human labor was put into acquiring them that was then sold to you. So nothing on earth for Adam Smith really has value until human labor is put into it, which can then be represented in money form in the form of currency. So that person who makes the shovel goes and buys materials that are the product of people's labor that they are then gonna factor into the cost of the shovel because if it costs them $5 for the materials, which is just saying $5 for the labor that went into the materials, what that does then is it must be added to the cost of the end product in order to make up for that cost. So for Adam Smith then, value is reducible to labor, to the amount of labor that goes into making a thing. But we're confronted with a problem here. Because labor isn't free and we must agree that labor then also has a value it has to be bought for something but how do we determine the value of labor if labor is the thing that determines the value of commodities well to kind of get around this and Adam Smith doesn't really get around it but he says that in order to determine the value of labor we need to look at the necessities of labor so the necessities of labor are going to include food the cost of bare food And bear shelter in order to keep workers alive to keep working and in his extremely naive way he thinks that that will be enough for people to live good lives for some reason so he suggests that we have to look at the price and value of all those other things and one of the ones that he focuses on in terms of food is corn he says that at that time and he's talking about England really at the time people were relying pretty heavily on corn to feed them so he said we have to look at the value of corn and the value of the basic necessities in terms of shelter and then once we've calculated that to find out how much money it's going to cost in order to keep people alive then we can figure out the value of labor because that value cannot go beneath the cost of those necessities or else laborers will cease to exist and then that will be a problem to the capitalists to the landowners to the property owners that employ those people but the issue here is that all that's saying is that the value of labor power is determined by the value of all of these other, essentially, commodities that are only made real, made made, brought into existence through labor. Corn doesn't uh, happen on a mass scale without without labor. You can't build shelter without labor. And so here we have a kind of circular logic where Smith, all he ends up saying is that value, the value of value is determined by value. The value of labor power is determined by the value of the basic commodities and goods that people need. Which doesn't actually get us anywhere. And then this opens up a whole slew of other issues. So for example, what happens if a worker is more productive than another worker? Or, or what happens if someone needs more necessities than somebody else? Let's say they have a disability or they need help in some other way in order for them to keep living. What happens to the value of labor then? And, of course, Adam Smith doesn't say anything about that. He very much lives in a fantasy world where things just miraculously work out the way that he hopes they will. Now, it's at this point that David Ricardo kind of sweeps in to address some of these issues. So David Ricardo is very much indebted, coming after Adam Smith, very much indebted to Adam Smith, but he sees many problems with Adam Smith. And I've covered David Ricardo's text. You can go and listen to those episodes. But David Ricardo has a bone to pick with Adam Smith, including on this point where David Ricardo says, hey, Adam Smith, you didn't really think this through. Like you haven't solved this issue about value. Now, spoiler alert, neither does David Ricardo. David Ricardo is just more prepared to admit that he doesn't know and that value is kind of a mysterious thing. So one of the first points that David Ricardo takes aim at in terms of Adam Smith's interpretation, understanding of value, Is that these so-called universals these kind of necessities like corn and shelter and labor they don't remain fixed they are always changing so one year there might be a, a hefty crop of corn the next year there might be a drought or shelter might raise in price for any number of reasons and so what that would mean is that the value of labor is going to go up or down or if there's a shortage of laborers the value of labor is going to go up If the demand for laborers is low, then the value of labor is going to go down and so on. So whereas for Adam Smith, he talked about prices and said that prices are only kind of a representation of real value that is reducible to labor, the kind of reality, or to borrow Kant's term, the kind of noumenon underneath all objects that is their truth that we can never fully understand, Ricardo says these two things are pretty much one and the same. All of these commodities are going to undergo fluctuations. Labor is going to undergo fluctuations. These necessities are going to undergo fluctuations. Their value then is pretty much the exact same thing as their dollar price that is going to undergo fluctuations. And so we don't really need to concern ourselves with finding the so-called truth of value here because it doesn't really get us anywhere and it's going to be impossible to actually discern. Where Ricardo agrees is that labor does hold some value. You need labor. Labor can't just go away. And at the end of his book, at the end of Principles of Political Economy and Taxation, he says that machinery poses a fundamental threat to the circulation of commodities and the accumulation of wealth because wealth can only really be generated through human labor because it is what gives value to things, even if that value is never gonna be really steady or fixed. Now with automation and machinery, human labor is gonna become more and more obsolete. And so therefore there's going to grow a greater gulf between the price of things and the actual value that goes into them as it comes about through human labor. So it's from here that Marx kind of takes the reins to some extent in response to both Ricardo and Smith to point to some issues in the way that they conceptualize labor and they conceptualize its relationship to value and determining value. So Marx is not satisfied with this idea that labor determines value full stop. He qualifies it instead to say that it's not just labor. So we can't just look at a commodity and count up the amount of labor that went into it, and then we will just know what a thing's value is. He says that in order for a commodity to actually attain value, it can only be, that value can only be calculated by looking at what he calls the socially necessary labor power put into it. Now, what What does that mean? What is socially necessary labor power? Well, it's kind of a mystery. Marx says that in order for objects to actually be exchanged for one another, they need to engage in some kind of a tacit, secret conversation between themselves to figure out if the amount of labor put into each is equal so therefore they can then be sold for the same price so for example how can one coat be sold for the same dollar value dollar number as 20 yards of linen for example well what we are saying there is that the amount of labor if we reduce everything down to its basic form as labor all the raw materials all the actions put into it all the transportation if we reduce all that to labor, then the coat and the 20 yards of linen equal the same thing in terms of value. But that only works if we take a kind of homogeneous, abstract form of what labor went into it. Because if we look at the coat industry, and especially at that time where things weren't quite automated, they were relying still quite heavily on human labor, human hands to make things. No two coats, even in the same industry, would be made with the same labor power, but they would still be sold for the same price, or else it would be impossible for that capitalist to actually have a market or to enter the market if each of their coats was sold differently. Not to mention it would just be way too hard to calculate. So the price of a thing, its value, is going to be determined by the socially necessary labor time that goes into it. And this requires, as I already mentioned, an abstraction of the labor that goes into it, a reduction of all possible labor that could go into one coat versus the next coat into their mean, into their average almost, in order to come out with a basic form as to what that coat should cost. Now, this explains for him how two different objects or two of the same object, like two coats, can be sold for the same price and they can be calculated to have the same value. And it is at this moment that for Marx, We see that exchange value, instead of having a holistic, equal engagement with use value as Adam Smith laid out, Karl Marx says that here, when labor has been abstracted, here exchange value dominates use value, it kind of eclipses use value, where an object's cost begins not to to have anything to do with the amount of labor that went into it, but because that labor has been abstracted that object's cost is only going to be determined within the market as that object, as that commodity circulates and almost talks with, in a kind of mysterious way, other commodities. And this is what he calls, and I've done an episode on this, he calls this commodity fetishism, where commodities seem to take on a whole existence of their own, away from the labor that went into them. And it kind of hides the fact that there was labor underneath them, labor that went into making them. And to bring this to the present day, it's not all that surprising that the value of a thing in terms of how much it can actually get someone in terms of labor power, how much labor, how many necessities a thing can buy, almost has very little to do with the amount of labor that goes into it. So for example, if we take the Kardashian name and we put it on a generic bottle of shampoo, suddenly that bottle of shampoo, no matter what labor went into it, is worth a whole lot more and is going to be able to command, is going to be able to purchase a lot more labor after it is sold with the amount of money that you get from it. So in this world of commodities, suddenly there's this whole kind of metaphysical world of exchange values that doesn't have any kind of real connection to the real world. Almost commodities just float around and engage with one another in in kind of a mysterious way. Another thing that Marx takes aim at in terms of Smith and Ricardo is that he's not quite so sure that money is a direct representation of value, or that there is a kind of clear connection to it. And that's, he says this for two kind of big reasons. He says that in the world of commodities, what happens is that a commodity is sold for more than what it costs in terms of labor, which makes sense, because otherwise the capitalist wouldn't make profit, which could then be turned into capital to go back into the the industry back into their corporation, back into their buildings, their machinery, whatever, so that they can make more money. Objects need to be sold, commodities need to be sold for more than they actually cost. So here he says there's kind of a a gulf, kind of a separation between the value of a thing and the amount that is sold for. And this gulf is growing and growing and growing. Now he says that the same thing, and this is the second point that he kind of makes about this, he says that when a laborer enters the market, they are giving up a commodity, and that commodity is their labor. They go to the capitalist and say, I'm good to work. The capitalist says, Okay, I will give you $10 today to work for me. Now the capitalist knows very well, that that person's labor has to actually earn more value than $10 worth. Otherwise, the capitalist wouldn't make a profit. So that worker is actually earning the capitalist maybe $11. So between the $11 and the $10, the capitalist has earned a $1 profit on that day's work of the laborer. So here, the actual dollar value that goes into paying a worker for labor has not a one-to-one relationship with the value of labor. So between price and between value is a, a distance that is kind of irreconcilable and there doesn't seem to be a way under this system to reconcile them. Now with all of this, the one of the dire warnings that Marx lays out is that we are moving further and further away from a connection to tangibility. And this isn't just Marx. If you read Adam, Adam Smith and you read Ricardo, they are very clear that there needs to be direct connections between price, dollars, value and labor. And they also say, and we've already moved way beyond this, that paper money cannot exceed the amount of gold in circulation. Now, what they were saying with that is that we cannot move beyond our means. But they were naive, that is Smith and Ricardo, thinking that for some reason capitalism will only go so far. And then it will calm down, let everything reach equilibrium, and then it will pick up again and then reach equilibrium. Rather, what we are seeing, and this is what Marx points out, is that as value and price get further and further apart from one another, it will produce crises and catastrophes. And so instead of these moments of equilibrium, as Smith and Ricardo kind of prophesized, instead we have these collapses, and they grow more and more intense, because it is simply unsustainable. And that's pretty much it in terms of value. Uh, If you like what I did, but you want more, go and check out those episodes on Smith, Ricardo, and the ones ongoing about Marx, or if you're listening to this years after they're done, just go find, I've I've released this episode, go find those episodes on Marx. Um, If you like what I did, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, who knows, they might get a kick out of it, who knows, they might not, they might think I'm a Marxist douchebag, um, which is probably pretty far from the truth, but this stuff is super interesting and I recommend anyone dive into it and yeah if you like what it did like share subscribe and catch you next time take care